Summer is here and the heat has arrived. And let me tell you, we aren't slowing down on adfreeshows.com. We plan to give you the red hot summer you deserve, full of interactive Zoom experiences, brand new content, and bonus events that will leave your head spinning. This month alone, our top level members have the opportunity to sit down live with Conrad, Kurt Angle, and Eric Bischoff and pick their brains virtually face to face. And then there's Baby Doll, the perfect 10, will join our top guys to talk about her time in Jim Crockett Promotions and her recent appearance on Dark Side of the Ring. And we're just getting started. There will be even more announcements and surprises along the way. So don't miss out. Sign up today and join the fastest growing wrestling community on the planet over at adfreeshows.com. Man, we are saving people money left and right over at SaveWithConrad.com. But don't take my word for it. Check out ConradReviews.com. Here's what you'll find over there. A five-star review from Joseph in Alexandria, Virginia. He says, once again, Conrad and his team hit a home run. Jimmy, as always, kept in constant communication during the whole process, gave us options, and made the process smooth and easy. Who knew listening to a wrestling podcast would help me out financially? And here's another five-star review from Ian F. in Pottstown, PA. Always fast to respond to any questions I had, and boy, did I have a lot. Thankfully, they cut two years off my mortgage and saved $80,000 over the life of the loan. $80,000? Are you kidding me? He's a wrestling fan who listens to this podcast just like you and his family, and his family gets to keep an extra $80,000. Now, without calling SaveWithConrad.com, they would have worked for that money, paid taxes on it, and then just given it away. Don't do that. Keep more of your own money. Hurry to SaveWithConrad.com. And I'm talking to you if you're in a 30-year loan, if you've got a second mortgage, if you've got credit card debt, it's not a matter of if we can save you money. It really is a matter of how much. Rates are at near historic lows, and there's never been a better time to refinance than right now. Your house is worth more than ever. You have more equity than ever before. And what does that represent to you? The biggest opportunity to change your life financially once and for all. You can get the best rate you've ever had on a mortgage. You can get rid of all your credit card debt, saving five, six, seven, even 800 bucks a month. And here's the deal, guys. Once you owe this money, it's up to you how you pay it back. Doesn't it make sense to pay it back at the cheapest rate possible and the greatest tax deduction possible? This is a once in a lifetime opportunity and you need to take advantage of it. You can even pull some cash out to do some remodeling around the house. What if some of that equity you've got, you used to put a pool in the back? or maybe add a new office, or even better, a man cave? Come on, get you some of that. It sounds too good to be true, but we can do it for you too right now. And again, you don't need perfect credit. You don't need money out of your pocket. And if we can't save you some cash, we won't waste your time. Punch it in at SaveWithConrad.com. NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lender. Oh, and did I mention no house payments for two months? Check it out. Find out how much money you can save right now for free at SaveWithConrad.com. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to my world. And of course, we couldn't do it without the Hall of Famer himself, your friend and mine, Double J, Jeff Jarrett. Jeff, what's going on, man? How are you? Your friend and mine, Conrad. You getting awful frisky getting started here early in the morning. Well, just kidding. I thought you hated me when when you were growing up and the fast forward machine and all that kind of stuff. You still hate me, Conrad? 
No, it turns out I just hate your character. You as a person's pretty fucking badass. I mean, you know, but quickly become oh, one of my very best yeah, friends. I but love the tweets that continue to roll in the so great comments and all that good good stuff. But uh how you doing, man? Man, I, I gotta tell you, I saw a tweet the other day that just got all over me because this one guy said, I listen to all of Conrad's podcasts, but I'll never listen to that one. I can't stand him. I hate his, I hate his outfits. I hate his wrestling. I hate his promos. I hate his voice. So there's no way I can listen to it. And I'm like, I hear you. I hated him just as bad, maybe more than you did. And then I met him. I challenge you to just listen to one episode. And it, we went back and forth. And eventually like three days later, he replied to the tweet and he says, damn it. You were right. Like, That's good. You're like, you're like, you're like moss, man. You just grow on people. Oh, I saw moss. Yeah. No, a lot of fun, man. Summer is here. Uh, it, it's uh, the summer of no worries was 2001. And now that we get into the summer of 2021, <laughs> I'm not going to say there's uh anniversary. I know how you like anniversaries, but uh, I'm not going to say there's no worries this summer, but it is a uh, having a lot of fun, man. It, it's been a long time since I had this kind of stuff and you're jarring my memory and recalling things and today's topics, one of those things that, uh, I just told Karen Conrad, uh, about an hour and a half ago, she's like, Oh, you excited, ready to go today. And I go, Oh, I'm loving it. But this topic today is one of those ones that I'm like, man, I wish Conrad would have given me a little leniency. Look, this is water under the bridge. I was stupid. There were some bad mistakes. But as I said here, 20 years later, 19 years later, I learned an awful lot from, from, um, uh, from this situation in, 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 in many ways, but, uh, going through it, well, you talk about having a sick feeling in your stomach and damn, why did I believe him? And why did I do that? And I've got to look, look Richard Scrooge in the eye and, you know, my dad is, uh, all over the place with his emotions and I knew uh, just, you know, keep trying to keep him, not trying to keep him calm, but anyway, we'll get into it. But uh, this topic, um, uh, it was a head scratcher to me that, man, we've done this whole build up, And then we did, you know, the three part trilogy and then the watch along, and then we're going to try to put a bow on it with Jay Hossman who went to jail. Okay. Conrad, I'll follow your lead. Well, here's the deal. I, you know, I, I'm fat. That is the topic. We didn't even. I tell everybody what we're talking about today, but the name of our show was he lied to us. <laughs> and, uh, it's really the Jay Hossman story, but I've just so impressed by your journey through all of this, where you're literally starting a wrestling company from absolute scratch and you're doing it with your own money. And then you find out very quickly, oh shit. Uh, it's all gone. We've been given bad information and we're going to get into all the nitty gritty today, but it just, um, it felt like this could have been the end. It maybe was supposed to be the end, but you persevered. And I think that story of how this thing almost didn't really get all the way off the ground. is fascinating. And any sort of, um, the story behind the story is what people really want in these podcasts. And you, you at times have said, man, this is kind of boring. This is too granular. But you see the feedback online is like, no, this is fantastic because literally no one else is sharing the details that you have about starting a company. And I'm excited for us to talk about this. It is definitely a major wrinkle. By the way, 
If you're overdosed on the behind the scenes of TNA, don't worry. This is the last one this week. Uh, <laughs> next week, we're back to uh, bash at the beach. 2000, maybe one of the more controversial moments. Is that the most controversial moment? Do you think besides for, you walking out on Vince? Well, from a personal, uh, you know, I made the decision in 95 to, to leave the arena and not do the road dog storyline. That, that was my decision. The, the China match and taking the contract and we've gone into detail about this. I didn't want to leave, but it was the best thing for my family. And, you know, the, the negotiation with JR and Vince flying around the world, taking this company public. There was a lot of things going into this, this bash at the beach, Conrad. I mean, the, 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 the months, you know, certainly the weeks leading up to it. I thought I was going to get to have a match with your childhood idol and mine, but a guy that had come through the territory you know, uh, and, and from Sterling Golding to Hulk Hogan and, you know, gone to the AWA and gone to Japan and then Hulkamania takes off. And then here we are, you know, 15 years after I watched the Pontiac Silverdome and I've been, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm the champion, not the challenger. I'm the champion going in, getting to face Hogan. And, you know, if I was doing the job or if he, I was beating him, that was pretty much inconsequential. But how it turned out and why it turned out that way, it was a lot of controversy going on in, uh, in my head and in my heart and, and just knowing nothing good's going to come out of this. And I and, uh, hate to say you're a Southern boy too, but how we're raised, I, I wasn't raised to give such a bad taste uh, to the people. Mm-hmm. The people in the arena and the people watching it was just bad TV just was. We're going to talk about that next week, but now let's jump into what nearly bankrupted Mr. Jarrett, uh, the Jay Hossman story. Um, I guess we should just start at the very beginning. Maybe people are listening to these shows out of order. I encourage you to listen to them in order. Maybe it'll make a little more sense, but the Jay Hossman name is a name that a lot of wrestling fans probably weren't familiar with until we started talking about it. Maybe the name popped up 20 years ago, but he was the conduit to in demand. Correct. So yeah, back up. Jay Hosman was an executive for Turner organization, WCW. Uh, he was the pay-per-view we'll, we'll call it liaison, but he, he worked for, uh, AOL time Warner. And when Vince bought his competition, Jay, like many others, found themselves without a job. And Jay had expertise in uh, the the pay-per-view industry. And we were starting, uh, as the story goes, and that we've well documented, a pay-per-view only uh, organization. So our pay-per-view consultant uh, was at the very top, uh, other than getting financing from Hell South and Richard Skrushke, he, he was uh, a really big part uh, of the business plan. And, you know, starting up, you've got in demand, which is basically all of cable television. It's the clearinghouse, whether it's Charter or Cox or uh, Comcast, whatever it is, all cable goes through in demand. Uh, and then at that time, the two satellite providers, DirecTV and Dish, and then all across Canada. But Jay Hosman was TNA Entertainment, or we'll call it Jay Sports and Entertainment, the, the, original company, he was their uh, one and only pay-per-view 
consultant, and he he brought on uh, maybe a month into the relationship a guy that he had worked with for years, a guy named Lynn Sabal. So those two guys were our eyes, eyes and ears and contract negotiators and consultants of all things pay-per-view. Did you know, despite all the medical miracles that exist out there, there are only two FDA approved medications that can prevent hair loss. Well, our friend keeps offer both keeps offers a simple stress-free way to keep your hair convenient, virtual doctor consultations and medications delivered straight to your door every three months. And that means you don't even have to leave your home. It's also low cost. In fact, the treatment started just $10 per month and keeps offers the generic versions. This comes in discreet packaging and more importantly, it has proven results. In fact, keeps has more five-star reviews than any of their competitors. Prevention is key and treatments can take four to six months to see results. So act fast. If you're ready to take action and prevent hair loss, go to K E E P S.com slash Jarrett to receive your first month of treatment for free. That's K E E P S.com slash Jarrett to get your first month free. That's K E E P S.com slash Jarrett. And you're going to get your first month for free. Can't recommend it enough. Listen, more than 50 million men in the United States are suffering from male pattern baldness and you don't want to be next. The way to do it, get in front of it with keeps, baby. Keep what you got with keeps at keeps.com forward slash Jarrett. So in your dad's book, he talked about how he spoke with Hossman two days after this, uh, very first TNA pay-per-view that we just covered last week and that the expectations were that your buy rate would be roughly 15% of what the WWE was doing at the time. And that meant that you should be somewhere between 90 and a hundred thousand buys. And your dad would write that he felt like the break even was around 55,000 buys. Let's just walk that back and start at the end. Did you think the break even was 55,000? Let's just do the quick math on that. You add $10 to that or multiply it by 10, that'd be 550,000. I assume the pay-per-view split was roughly 50%. So split that in half. Yeah. So that 550 quickly becomes, you know, 275, 250, whatever you're, you're, you're hovering around that quarter million mark. So that would have been your income on that event. And you have candidly told us that you felt like you were going to be at the hundred thousand dollar mark as far as your overall budgeting and expense and things like that. Does that line up to you? Why would your dad think that you needed twice as much, much as what you thought you needed? I, you know, and then I have no idea. And, and as we've gone through this journey, um, things have, uh, recalled in my brain, but, but things that don't need to be recalled in my brain, because that's just, you know, my dad, I, I'll say that, uh, in, in a lot of ways, he's delusionally optimistic like I am, but I, how he came up with that number. And again, um, I've, I've, I've really tried to th- it's been a, at times a roller coaster of emotions, knowing that my father wrote this book in 2004, his journal was obviously from. Oh, two. Oh yeah. As much as real time, uh, that, that he did. Cause I, I do remember him having his journal and, and in his briefcase and he'd write in it and all that. Uh, so uh, again, it's, 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 it's that chronological timeline, knowing that there's some ups and downs, but how he came up with 15%. I don't ever even remember that being discussed, 
but but I, I know that a business plan wouldn't put wasn't put in place and presented to uh, I had a conversation with my accountant who went down with me uh, on, on that trip and all that clicked back in and all this and and that that number just that's my father's number, but I don't ever remember having that discussion. Fifteen percent of a WWE buy rate. Uh, well, he's saying that he felt like or, or that Jay told him that. So, you know, maybe you weren't on that call, but. What I'm trying to dig out is what did you think your break even was? Did you really think it was about 25,000 buys? Yeah, I think that number is as close to accurate on recall as as I can muster up in my brain, but about 25. Now, when when you were doing that, you were assuming $0 at the gate, right? Yes. Okay. So we're, we're hoping to be or we're told it should be between 90 and a hundred thousand buys. Is that about what you heard? When do you hear the number, the preliminary number, if you will. See, and, and the, uh, I'd heard the word extrapolate before. Yeah. Conrad as a businessman, really drilling into that and understanding, you know, this is going back two and three months before, like how we're actually going to get a, a close to read is you take different markets and you can get real-time buys uh, or as close to real-time buys, a flash report. Our event was on Wednesday. We were told early that flash reports could come in uh, as early as Friday afternoon. Uh, so that's Wednesday night event all day Thursday. By Friday afternoon, they could put together something, but it would really be the following Friday. So essentially a 10-day report, still called a flash report. And you take that and then you extrapolate it out over the amount of homes that were cleared and you can land on a number that is um, relatively close. The one thing that, um, I mean, Jay Hosman, Lynn Sabal, anybody I talk to is until you understand your markets, again, going back to that Midwest and Southeast, that's, you know, that that's where you need to allocate. If you have marketing dollars, go to that. We'll get into a John Boy and Billy discussion later on on why that uh, was focused on. Uh, that's down the line. But anyway, uh, the numbers were going to be extrapolated out, taking 10 to 15. San Diego was a market. Knoxville was a market. Uh, Montgomery, I think, was a market. And we were developing those individual relationships. And you take one market, take the 10, say, markets and average on a Wednesday, and then you extrapolate that out based on the number of homes San Diego serviced or Montgomery serviced or whatever it is, we're really getting granular into the math, but, but taking that number and, and, and building it out. Did you answer the question? Yeah. Did I think 20 to 25,000? What was my break even point? No, no, no. I'm saying when you get this flash report, yep. wh- wh- how many do you think you got? How many? Oh, uh, you, you talk about show one. Yes. Cause we went along. Oh gosh. Uh, I'd say, I mean, it was certainly more than 25,000. It was 75,000. I, I don't know. Your dad it's wrote a, in his book that, that Jay told him he thought it would be between 90 and a hundred. Is that yeah. what you were of the mindset of? Yeah, certainly. I, I'll say safe to say his best I recall well above 50, 70, 80. Yeah. Up there. So in your head. We just made some fucking money. Uh, so again, uh, I'll put on my promoter cap. I knew week two was a tape show, but I was very happy. I'll say that I was elated. That, that's the goes as far as I, say. I was very happy 
knowing, okay, you got, you got tape shows coming up every other week as well. So again, let's just do the quick math. You got 90,000 buys. It's $10. So that's 900 grand divided by two, 450. You yep. think your, your out of pocket is going to be about a hundred thousand. So you got 350 grand profit. You're 50% owner or 60%. Owner. So you're making an owner. No, no. Yeah, no, it was uh, yeah. So you, <laughs> you're, you're doing okay. Yeah. Oh yeah. So if that's true, then that was sh first show netted Jeff Jarrett, $227,000. So I just want to add context to this because I, I think sometimes we just throw numbers around and Lord knows we, we've all grown up talking about, oh, here's how many people bought the pay-per-view, but what nobody ever does is put pen to paper and say, okay, how much did Vince make off of that? Well, <laughs> now Jeff is in that spot. So if we know what our overhead is, we know what our expenses are. We know what the income is in theory on the heels of this very first show, Jeff Jarrett believes, okay, man, I've made about a quarter million dollars in week one. We're off to the races. But then sometime between week one and episode two airing. So that first Wednesday to the following Wednesday in that seven day period, you discover that your show was not on in demand in all the cable systems. So all the cable systems did not carry the show. Now we've covered some of these like cable vision and others that you weren't in, but the ones that you thought you were in, you're not in. So all this extrapolating horseshit isn't accurate if you're not in all those homes, right? Correct. So we've got this forecast that, oh man, we did great business because here's what the number was in this market or that market. But it turns out not every market had it. And it's in your dad's book that Jay comes to the office, sits down with you and your dad, and you're voicing your concerns about how in demand didn't help uh, promote the thing like they had promised they would. And that it wasn't available on all the systems. And it's written in your dad's book that Jay sort of blamed Lynn Sabal. First of all, tell us who Lynn Sabal is. And secondly, what do you remember about this meeting with Jay? And did he blame Lynn for everything? You know, uh, again, going down this journey, it, it's, it's, it's so easy. Hindsight's 2020 in so many different ways. I would have loved to have had a camera on me, you know, uh, a, a security camera, from the, the, the meetings prior to the first event with Jay and, and out in LA and, and all that, because by the time we get to the fall and even the following year, I look back inwardly on myself and go, damn, what a squirrely line SOB from day one. I mean, from day one, but this particular meeting, Conrad, I, I just remember thinking, Hmm. Okay. Uh, he has not been very transparent with us. And look, uh, you can relate to this or anybody listening to relate to this. When, when, when you're being questioned and the first thing you do is pass the buck, uh, when I'm paying, I remember having these conversations, Jay, I don't give a F what Lynn Sabal does or not do. I hired you. You brought Lynn on. Well, Lynn is a senior uh, guy in this, and da 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 da. It was a bunch of double talk, uh, but it was very uncomfortable. It was a, it was one of those feelings like, hmm, I'm an optimistic guy, but if we're not even getting up to the plate in Dallas or Oklahoma City or whatever markets that don't, weren't actually clearing it. And look, it was episode one, so again, 
a thousand things on my plate. We're going to get there week two. We're going to get there week three. We're going to get there week four. Knowing in the back of my head that Scrooge is all in. I get the impression from reading your dad's books because he does have a few out there. And uh, when I knew you and I were going to start doing a podcast, I powered through everything I could find written by your dad. And I get the vibe that your dad, again, I've never even met your dad, so I don't know this, but I get the vibe that your dad is like a no bullshit businessman. So when bullshit appears, he tries to get rid of it as quickly as possible. The idea being if someone comes into his life and they're shady or they're less than forthright, or they're not honest, he has no time or patience for it. And he just cuts it off at the knees as soon as he can. I get the vibe that your dad was beyond over Jay right away. Like fuck this guy, but it's almost a necessary evil at the time. And you're probably trying to be like, damn it, dad, hang on. I know it sucks and it's not ideal, but fuck, we got to get in the game. Is that kind of the context? Pretty good read. Pretty good read. You know, and my dad, a lot of times, uh, he talks a great, he, you know, he talks a great game. And most of the time you're right. Cut bait, cut bait, kid, cut bait, you know, promoters around the territory, um, that won spot shows, whether it's a quarterback club up in Corbin, Kentucky, if they did a, a solid show and then the next year around the guy laid an egg or didn't, Oh, we didn't sell concessions and we know damn well they did. It was not even a, Hey, but dad, or we made a lot of money last year. Let's give him another shot. He'd look at me like, no (laughs) ship has sailed. So you're accurate on that read. And, and the Hospin situation, he didn't like, uh, I hate to say body language because I would have never said that 20 years ago, but my dad did, didn't, uh, didn't like the vibe. He's like, he's an old school guy who kind of goes with his gut. And if he doesn't get a good feeling type deal, right? He didn't like the answers Jay was giving us at all. Cause it felt hokey. Like there were holes in it. Fabricated. Yeah. Yeah. Would probably be a word he used son. He's fabricating those answers right before our eyes. Yeah. I mean, it's an old school term, but your dad didn't feel like he was a quote unquote straight shooter. There you go. Credit Karma has always been there to help you make better financial decisions, and now they want to help you even more. You see, with a Credit Karma money spend account, you can be rewarded for good money habits. And who doesn't want instant gratification? If you're looking for satisfaction, there's no need to wait. With Credit Karma money, you could win cash reimbursement for your debit purchases. No, seriously, check this out. Credit Karma money is a brand new checking account where you can win cash reimbursements when you make purchases. Huh? You see, when you use your Credit Karma money debit card, you can win daily instant karma purchase reimbursements on up to $5,000. Just pay with your debit card, and if you win, you'll be notified on the spot, and your instant karma cash will be added right back to your spend account. Credit Karma money has always given away over $3 million in instant karma to over 50,000 Credit Karma members and counting. Open your FDIC insured spend account for free. There's no minimum balance requirements, no overdraft fees, and free withdrawals from a network of over 50,000 ATMs. And when you make a purchase between June 8th and June 30th, you'll automatically be entered to win $1 million. Credit Karma money. Progress starts here. Right now, visit creditkarma.com forward slash win money to open your free account and start winning instant karma. Go to creditkarma.com forward slash win money to sign up for free and start winning instant karma. That's creditkarma.com forward slash win money. 
That's C-R-E-D-I-T-K-A-R-M-A dot com slash win money. Instant Karma is sponsored by Credit Karma. No purchase necessary. Exclusions and terms apply. See rules. Banking services provided by MVB Bank, Inc. Member FDIC. Maximum balance and transfer limits apply. But remember, go to creditkarma.com forward slash win money to sign up for free and start winning instant karma. That's creditkarma.com slash win money. Uh, so let's talk about the second show. So we, we sort of ran down last week at the very end of the episode. It's in the archives. Go check it out. Uh, what you did on the taping here in Huntsville, that's going to air on week number two. Do you and your dad do like a watch party at your house or his house? Or where do y'all watch that show? Do you have friends or family over? Just take me through when that second show airs, it's taped. So it's not like you have to be in an arena. How do you guys check it out? And, and this is something that Conrad episode two, I bet I watched seven, eight times, not all the way through in the edit base Wednesday night, me having a watch party and sitting down with family, friends that that wasn't even my, no, I, I'd already seen it the, the previous Friday and probably back Monday and probably a final QC, QC check before it went out the door. Cause those first episodes, again, Keith Mitchell, we are really lean and mean. We don't have a studio, uh, like we built into, so it was at film workers in Nashville, go get there. The editors were in house that worked for film workers. They didn't work for TNA entertainment. I mean, it was something that I'd watch. So I, there was no watch party. I'm, I'm going a long way around to say, well, I didn't watch it on Wednesday night. I, I, I want to be clear. I think me and you are a lot alike in, in this regard. Like I had the good fortune of hosting the, uh, dark side of the ring confidential. And then I did the little a and E hidden treasure thing that aired a couple of weeks ago. And Megan would get frustrated. Like, are we not going to watch? And I'm like, baby, I did it. I know what it is. I don't know. I don't have any, I, I, I was there. I got it. I said the words. I know what it is. Yeah. Um, anyway, I say all that to say, I, I, I felt like just by reading your dad's book that whether it be his wife or your, your siblings or your wife, that maybe the family would have been, oh, we got to support the guys and let's get together. And that's not the case. And maybe that happened. But I, I don't, yeah, I've never throughout my career, never only Memphis TV because it would happen. And I, I still got some of those VCR tapes that it would happen on Saturday morning and I would watch some things back. Uh, but it's, if I'm executive producer, you, you watch it so many times before it hits air, you don't sit down and, and, and watch it. We just didn't. Um, well, that, that, I, 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 when the Devil J vignettes came out, if we're on this little note, I can remember recording uh, the, the program, cause I wanted to see the ins and outs, how the announcers pitch to it, the reaction to it, uh, coming in and out of it. But, you know, as far as watching stuff as it happens on TV, that that's, uh, not to say that it never happens, but, uh, if, if I'm in it or producing it, it I, I watch it long before it airs. So we know that at the uh, end of episode one, the live show, the very first show, Ken Shamrock is crowned the world champion. At the end of, uh, episode two, AJ styles is crowned the X division champion. And we've talked a lot about that. I guess we should mention that that main event with, uh, AJ styles, low key, Jerry Lynn and psychosis got four and a half stars 
and the show was well-received in the observer 75.2% of the readers gave it a thumbs up. Uh, but he did say in the observer that he got half the response for show two that he did for show one. Now you probably expect that because you know, there's a lot of things at play, but I want to know what do you think was the biggest contributing factor? I think, I think you could say it all mattered, but was it down because a, it was taped and the spoilers were already out there. So if you wanted to know what happened, you could have read about it in a dirt sheet a week ago. Uh, B the curiosity factor was gone. People were curious. Hey, what is this? What is it going to look like now? They've seen it. So those curious, curious buys are gone or was it C they watched it and they just didn't really love it. Now that's obviously the worst of the three. Mm -hmm. When you, when you know, going in, all right, the second one's going to be down. And then you, you see that the feedback initially is about half of what it was the first week. Is that alarming or did you expect it because of all the combination of those three things? And what do you think was the bigger concern for you? I, I was definitely disappointed because, uh, you know, as obviously as time come along and, uh, hate to be repetitive, but hindsight's 2020, but you know, on Twitter, you guys, we, we do polls at free does polls, Clay Travis at outkick. They'll do different polls that, that Twitter, Instagram, having that ability. I think that's really cool, but rewind 20 years ago. Me knowing that, oh, wow, I, I knew it'd be down, but in half, because that is uh, an invested viewer emotionally uh, that that chose week one to click thumbs up, thumbs down. In the following week, about half did that. That was not a good sign. Uh, it was concerning to me. Uh, but again, um, you know, uh, it's a roller coaster, ups and downs. It wasn't the end all be all. Uh, obviously I like that, that, that it was well-received, uh, you know, when you talk about that main event, cause I always look at the main event, Yes, you, you know, you can weave in a bunch of things in and out, but crowning AJ and, you know, uh, as we're getting back into this, you know, psychosis was in that match. Okay. So why did psychosis win the week before? Because he was going to be in this four way. We wanted those four guys, you know, to give as much, uh, anyway, um, yeah, back to your question. It was concerning. Uh, was it expected? Yes. To some level, but, but not in half. What were you expecting when you talked about it going down the number being less? Did you, did you think, Hey, we might be down 20%. How much? Maybe 25%, you know? Well, you know, it's interesting because the quick reports, according to your dad's book is that the buy rate was going to be down 30% from the first one. And. I believe it's around this time when your dad wrote in his book that he actually reached out to Eric Bischoff to, to try to discuss the possibility of him helping you guys secure a broadcast cable deal. Was your dad panicked when he saw the number? When you said that, I, I just have zero recollection of that. Um, well, it, uh, him reaching out to Eric, which is still, still, as you gave a, a, a a what if a hypothetical. Um, I, I just don't remember it. Maybe he told me, maybe he didn't. Um, but as a, I, what I've learned over the years and different promoters have different mindsets. Uh, and I think it's just in all of our DNA. 
Um, as far as like you just said, the panic button, my father had no problem walking into Booker's, whether it's Dundee or Lawler or, or, or Robert Fuller or uh, being a part of, uh, uh, you know, creative. If he wasn't really hitting the panic button, he didn't mind acting like he was full on smashing the panic button. Like what the hell is going on guys? Um, and I don't know if that was a motivation. I don't know if he was saying it out loud to get a reaction or if he really was hitting the panic button, but I, I do remember him really being concerned. So, you know, we haven't spent any time talking about it, but did your dad, you know, you, you your dad wrote in his book that you maybe had grander plans for this operation, this idea, this concept of TNA than he did international stuff, licensing deals. And he sort of just casually mentions and a broadcast cable deal, but then it's your dad who's trying to make calls to secure it. After you see the preliminary number being down 30%, uh, based on information from Jay and you read in the observer that the response is about half. Are you starting to question, can they stand alone pay-per-view product work? Not at this point. Okay. And, and, and uh, well, and probably at the top of that list would be because cable television was not an option like, and, and whether I took a couple of opinions and made it the gospel, or maybe that was an accurate read or a little bit of in between, but Turner organization, uh, a mega, they, they, in a lot of ways, pioneered the cable industry. USA and TBS, USA Network and TBS pioneered it. And when they took off a successful program, it it did. It sent shockwaves through programmers. What do we not know? And nobody in Hollywood wants to take a risk. To this day, that's the mentality. Nobody will take a risk. It is monkey see, monkey do. Uh, I'll step up to the plate if somebody does it first. And that's always been against my grain. How do you have innovation? if you don't take some type of risk. But anyway, I knew that, that it wasn't an option to go on table cable TV in 2002. So we hear the number is down about 30%, uh, but the beat goes on the day of your third taping, you call the head of media relations department at in demand. And he, bas- he basically says he didn't know about your project. And your dad details that this is the first time that you yourself, Jeff officially thought, man, something's wrong with Jay. This is not, this isn't adding up. Yeah. Do you remember that call? That's why I just asked if you had a name, uh, who, who would that name have been? Um, again, uh, it is really hard to pin down. Like when did the light bulb go off in my brain? Um, it's easy for me to say after this phone call or after the, the, you know, week two, week three, week four of the flash reports coming in that ended up being total BS. I'd love to have that kind of exact recall on this, but, uh, these type calls and digging in and I can remember making cold calls. I'm not going to say during this week, but I would make cold calls to cable operators across the country. And yeah, yeah, we've got it this Wednesday night. 
No. Uh, let me check the schedule. No, we don't have that yet. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about it? And I'm talking about Conrad, you can appreciate this making cold calls. I literally was making cold calls across the country to see what cable operators. I'm not saying this week, but, but as the weeks roll along, just to see where it was at and me knowing that the, not the marketing side, but the operations side was really, really screwed up and was going to take a lot of work in demand it is their infrastructure. This is when the light bulb started going off. Not only was Jay full of crap, but, but in demand, um, they really, and I, I keep using the word clearinghouse. They had no power, no control. Each individual cable operator across the country acted completely on their own. They had the ability. Do we want Wednesday or do we not? Oh no, we're not going to hire somebody to turn, flip the switch. Okay. No TNA. It's that simple. And and that was never Jay went the other way with that. It doesn't feel like, and this is uh, breaking it down in its most simple terms, the Jarrett family, Jay Hossman and in demand, you're not on the same page, almost as if we're talking about, you know, an old Southern saying the left hand doesn't know what the right hand's doing. Is that Jay misrepresented the industry operations in, in its grandest scale as you possibly could. So yes, right hand, not talking to the left hand. And I'd go as say is if, if I'm the right hand, uh, it's the left pinky toe. That's how far apart he, he is essentially, I mean, in, in this call you have with this person at in demand, the media relations director flat out tells you he hasn't talked to Jay Hosman in several months. And here Jay Hossman is represented that, oh, I'm talking to in demand and here's what they're doing for you. And here's what they're marketing and here's our plan. And he's literally just making I name drop it across the board with in demand executives, cable operators in this market, in this market, in this market, in this roll of decks. And, and look, shame on me that I didn't do more due diligence, but, uh, that's the bumps and bruises that a 35 year old businessman, but he purported to know the industry inside and out again based on his WCW operations and how successful WCW was. And Eric Bischoff took him uh, from quarterly to monthly. And I'm in the thick of that. I'm doing all this, man. I kicked myself in the ass multiple times what in were the, the following months to come. What, were, what were the terms of your, your financial deal with Jay? Is he getting a cut? Are you, is he on a salary? It's a, yeah, it's a, it's a monthly consulting deal. Man, we got to dig up these numbers, but it's a monthly consulting deal. And it was, it was a good one. Freestyle a number, 10 grand a month, 20 grand a month, 50 grand a month. Oh gosh. Conrad and damn sure don't hold me to this, but I would easily say 20 grand a month, five grand a week. Okay. So I just wanted to add context because I'm sure a lot of our listeners are thinking, why would he just lie? Because he wants 20 grand a week. Oh, uh, oh 20, 20 grand, grand a month. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, when you drill it right down to, and he's working for team services and we're going to get to that Bonnie worth and Bonnie's a longtime friend of Vince McMahon and Linda McMahon and Bonnie and Lance and Venda in a lot of ways pioneered so many different things in the pay-per-view industry and really cut its teeth on team services on how to market and like running a presidential campaign, where are you going to get the votes? If you're going to get a lot of buys in San Diego, double down on your marketing in that market, because you can turn 20 buys into 40, a lot easier than you can two buys into four in Des Moines or whatever it may be. But, but Jay 
at its very core, wanted a paycheck, and he did everything he could to secure it, including Laz Assoff. Did you know that up to 80% of the immune system of your dog or cat is influenced by the gut? Or that supporting the immune system through proper diet and digestive health enables pets to better fight environmental allergies? Solid Gold is passionate about gut health because a healthy digestive system positively impacts the immune system and overall wellness of pets. Solid Gold was the first holistic pet food company in America, started in 1974 by Sissy McGill. Sissy was a trailblazer and a pioneer who disrupted a male-dominated industry and created a natural pet food before it was cool. Sissy was inspired by European pet food and the fact that European Great Danes live longer than their American counterparts. Her first recipe, Hundenflaken, dog flakes in German, has now provided high-quality nutrition and digestive health for over 20 generations of dogs. Solid Gold's nutritional platform is inspired by their founding belief that high-quality food is the best way to impact our pet's mind, body, and spirit. For over 45 years, Solid Gold has revolutionized the holistic pet food category, and they have a recipe for any dog or cat's dietary needs, including healthy whole grain and grain-free options, wet food, supplements like sea meal, and 100% human-grade bone broth for dogs. Solid Gold Foods are different because they cleanse the digestive system with whole superfoods, balance with living probiotics, and fuel with omega-3 and 6 fatty acids, supporting gut health and nourishing your pet inside and out. Right now, to save 30% on select Solid Gold products, go to solidgoldpet.com slash myworld. That's solidgoldpet.com slash myworld to save 30% on select Solid Gold products. Remember again now, that's solidgoldpet.com slash myworld. Remember, that's solidgoldpet.com slash myworld. And on a personal note, you know, we're on summer vacation right now, and we brought our dogs with us, and there's one thing that my wife Karen packed for the dogs, and that is the soft shoes, the design, and the advanced joint health. So remember, folks, that's solidgoldpet.com slash myworld. I'm not asking to be funny. I'm asking to be serious here. Do you believe that perhaps Jay had some sort of substance issue? Oh, uh, never witnessed it. Just sometimes when people just create a fantasy land and they just keep lying and it just gets deeper and deeper, it's because they have some sort of, a um, a demon, a monkey on their back. I I never witnessed any of, of that. So you reach out to Jay on the day of the taping, I'm sure. Or do you just say, fuck, I got to get through this show and then I'll handle it. When do you talk to Jay? Ooh, good question. Um, I know there was running phone calls, but my dad was so involved in that. And you got to remember, uh, my, my legal rep, you know, who had uh, points in the profits. Um, and you know, as we're going to get into this, so legal was, uh, had a conduit, not that they were calling beating up Jay, but they had the ability to, all right, let's work this out. And my father was on top of it. I'm knee deep with Keith Mitchell and all of production and talent and creative. That was my focus. And and that was, you know, and I, I really think rightly so that there's nothing I can do about Jay Hossman or in demand 
I've got to keep putting out a good product because I'm going to get Richard his money back. And if I get Richard his money back, I get money. I feel like we should just take a time out right there and just try to add context to what you just laid out. So I'm writing the show. I'm wrestling on the show. I'm managing all the boys and, and, and trying to be like the floor director backstage. I'm low key handling talent relations. Oh, by the way, we're also spending my money. I'm the investor. Uh, and I'm also trying to deal with the business end of our business. You are stretched incredibly thin. This has to feel overwhelming at this point. Like when you had months to plan that first show, that's one thing. But now, man, shit, we got to come up with another one every seven days and promote it and manage the talent. And oh, by the way, I got to stay in shape and come up with a creative angle. And I'm performing too. Uh, wearing a lot of hats, bud. No kidding. And I signed up for it. And, um, that's, uh, whether it's, I think it's a combination of ego and, and, um, uh, um, the promoter mindset. And I loved it. I mean, I, I, to this day, I love, I love the business more today. And, and people say, do you really Jeff?" I'm like, yeah, I actually love the business more today than I ever have. And, and me getting the opportunity and Richard, um, really getting on board and look that, that nucleus of team and it's young talent and James storm and AJ styles and those guys, but also, you know, Ken Shamrock and, and other guys that were Scott Hall and, and those guys and, and Jeremy Borash. And I could go down the list on and on and on. I was, you know, let's get this thing going. Let, let, let's, let's roll guys. Let's move. And so was it overwhelming? I think maybe from the outside, but in my mind, there was only so many hours in the day, but, uh, look, uh, no need for a lot of sleep, get up. Go to the gym and get your day done. Do everything you possibly can to get it done. So I guess we should also mention, uh, we realized that the live event thing, the touring schedule, that was a failed concept. And we just shelved that idea, even though you had some leads and maybe some soft holds on some arenas that you guys had done some research on, you realize fairly quickly after really, really soft ticket sales in Huntsville. Hey, that that's not going to work. Let's try to uh, cut whatever costs we can. And you got a sweetheart deal there in Nashville because what's now known as the Bridgestone arena, or I guess recently was known as the Bridgestone arena had opened. So you can go to municipal now and get a pretty good deal. So you're almost going to like set up residency for lack of a better word there in Nashville, right? Yeah. And, and I think I referenced this a couple of, uh, episodes ago that, uh, the municipal auditorium before we ever picked show one in the original discussion, Hey man, we'd love to have you as often as you would come. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, we'll get there. But uh, again, I can remember that, that I would just call it the Southeast Midwest and Monterey artists and, and knowing that even if we, you know, by, because I, I'm, I'm going to really date myself when you go back and, and, and look at, I'll say, before Eric got there at WCW, they were doing TV tapings in Rome, Georgia, or Kansas, and you know, for you know, three to five hundred people, seven hundred people. I, I knew that we could go to these arenas and manage our cost. But when the Hosman thing hit and municipal auditoriums in our backyard, and we don't have to have all those plane tickets, 
it made a lot of sense real quick. And again, I'll go back to, to Bob Stoney and, and Minnesota Auditorium. They essentially gave us the building. So, uh, and, and knowing that we weren't getting accurate pay-per-view, it, it was a no brainer to reel in everything we possibly could. And, and again, growing up in Memphis, we were in the same studio 52 weeks a year of 150 people. It never, that never worried me. Oh, you're just going to sit in Nashville. No, we sat in Memphis year after year after year, week after week after week and made a lot of money in a fixed location residency. So yes, we, we knew quickly, uh, not, not just because of lack of ticket sales, but managing cost. The third show is built around crowning new tag champs. As a reminder, episode one, we got a new singles world champ. Episode two, we got a new singles, uh, X division champ episode three. It's going to be the NWA world tag team champs. Now the Shane twins are, were the champions in the NWA, but I guess they're stripped because now the Johnsons, AKA the flesh covered giant men. <laughs> Uh, are going to take on James storm and Chris Harris, the future America's most wanted. They're going to take the win. And now, uh, they're moving forward. Thankfully, this is the last time we see the Johnsons. They, uh, they were in and out of here. I guess they were technically on three shows, but really it's, uh, two weeks. The Johnsons were in and out of here. Yeah. That come out of your mouth. Uh, came out of yours. So there's some interesting, uh, snafus production, uh, situations here. Jim Miller. Uh, is the NWA president and he comes out, but the graphic says Jim Wilson and he announces the uh, TNA debut for Amori, who's going to be wrestling for the NWA world title. No first name, no cross promotion, no, no video package, just Amori. Uh, and then you and Scott Hall have a promo, which results in Ron killings coming out. Uh, essentially Scott Hall just shit cans him which I think a lot of people online were thinking, wait a minute. I thought he was going to be a top guy. We do finally see Monty Brown, who I know we're going to be talking about a lot here on the program in the future. And it's rare that a company, um, has this sort of old school booking, but Monty Brown squashes his opponent, Anthony Ingram and calls out Ken Shamrock. So even though it may have been difficult to get him on paper, you saw money or your dad saw money. I guess everybody saw money in Monty Brown. Oh yeah. Everybody did. He, he, uh, Monty's very charismatic. Uh, one of those guys that, um, I was obviously knee deep in my own programming, but when, you know, fast forward to money, getting to WWE, I, I, I'm still one of those head scratchers, um, how he didn't become a, a really, really big superstar, but no, from the beginning and, and, you know, Marv Levy, uh, his coach and other coaches. And, but when you meet Monty, he's got a ton of charisma yeah. and the talk from day one, you know, he, he, he obviously grew up, uh, with a gift of gab, but, um, yeah, everybody was high on Monty, everybody. So puppet's going to come out and cut a promo challenging any midget. And he mentioned specifically Gary Coleman and Beetlejuice and the internet was a buzz saying that there was a rumor that Beetlejuice was scheduled to face puppet on this show. Is that real? Did you try to reach out to Beetlejuice and see what you could get going? Conrad, I'm a promoter. Do you think I'm going to hot shot it that quick? That's like, I mean, Beetlejuice versus puppet. That's like a year build. Wouldn't you say? Oh, You're not going to accuse me of being that bad a booker. Listen, to you. listen, to you. <laughs> but no, it's funny you say that. I'm sure that Jeremy Borash, who may be, he's, uh, 
maybe a top five. Uh, he's a huge Stern fan and yeah. has been for years. So it would not surprise me if, if somebody recalled, don't you remember Jeremy or, or Bill Banks or somebody wouldn't pitch in you Beetlejuice and puppet, but, uh, uh, you know, little guys, uh, Gary Coleman, Beetlejuice in my history. So anyhow. <laughs> okay. So something we haven't talked about here on the show, uh, Jeff Jarrett has been making trips down to Huntsville occasionally. And whenever he's down, Jeff wants to go to lunch. Jeff is what I would call a professional eater. And take it from me, a big old fat guy. I know a professional eater when I see one and Jeff is in a class of his own. Really? It's remarkable, but I've learned his secret. Jeff knows what to eat and Jeff knows to eat magic spoon. You see magic spoon is going to remind you of the cereal you ate as a kid. It tastes great, but it's not full of sugar and junk. You shouldn't be eating. Instead, it has zero grams of sugar. 13 to 14 grams of protein and only four net grams of carbs in each serving. How about only 140 calories a serving? Oh, and check this list out. Magic spoon is keto friendly, gluten free, grain free, soy free, low carb, and GMO free. What it's not free of is great taste. They've got a variety pack of four incredible flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and peanut butter. Now, if you really want a pro tip, you can mix together cocoa and peanut butter. It's going to taste just like your favorite peanut butter cup. Go to magicspoon.com forward slash my world and grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use our promo code my world at checkout to save $5 off your order. And magic spoon is so confident in their product. It's backed by a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money. No questions asked. Remember, get your next delicious bowl of guilt-free cereal at magicspoon.com forward slash my world and use the promo code my world to save $5 off. And we thank magic spoon for sponsoring this episode and a great breakfast. Thanks magic spoon. Check it out. Magicspoon.com slash my world. The Alicia Webb stuff, the Ryan Shamrock stuff we saw her in episode one collecting cash from the referee slick Johnson here on episode three, she's going to be collecting cash from Ed Ferrara. And it almost feels like you're trying to put her into a, uh, Heidi Fleiss type role. Was that the idea? Was that going to be the idea? She's a madam. When I saw the watch along at your house and I saw that in the, you know, plant that seed. Cause you can, I, I just sort of know kind contextually. Okay. That's planting the seed for something to come. Um, and I, I'm not sure what the Shamrock situation was, but, uh, I think we were going basically, she's a, a, a female with money. that was going to buy her way through maybe a female version of the million dollar man, but no, buy her way through and Heidi flies. But no, she wasn't giving them money. They're giving her money, but she's blackballing them. Well, okay. All right. I, I thought, I, I'm assuming I thought they were paying for sex. Oh God, your mind goes straight to the gutter. Um, that's what the, that's what the internet thought. I mean, that's what's in the dirt sheets, as you call them, that, uh, that she was oh, going to be a Heidi. Oh, now that I call them, I'm the only person ever. I'm kidding. Heidi Fleiss was a madam, you know, yep. a female pimp. Yeah. And it was a famous story. I mean, it is. I mean, everybody knew oh, yeah. that I remember. Yeah. yeah. So I, I just, anyway, let's talk about something you might remember your dad wrote in his book that buff was in a very cantankerous mood here in Nashville on show number three. 
and basically says he was unhappy with everything and was threatening to quit. And your dad was ready to just for him to be out of his hair. Do you remember your dad and buff not particularly getting along here on episode three? Nope. <laughs> I, I do not. I'd love to have seen that conversation because buff, you know, as far as when it got down to wins and losses and finishes and that kind of stuff, I really never saw that side of buff. He was always pretty easy going and look, he survived in WCW all those years, ups and downs from, you know, I mean, buff buff was at WCW for a lot of years and to survive that long with so many regime changes, you had to be somewhat laid back. So I, I never had a problem really with, with, with buff, but who's to say that, uh, and my dad didn't have a round and round Who Pup, knows? puppets on the show wrestling, uh, Todd stone squashes him in about a minute. And then yeah. afterwards puppets was gonna, a trash can scene it was a trash can scene. No, not yet. we're not there okay. yet. Okay. Sorry. Uh, puppet hits Borash and Don West with a kendo stick and Meltzer would say, I don't know what you can do with him. Maybe a heel manager, but the guy should give everyone lessons on charisma puppet had charisma. If he had nothing else. Yeah. And, and I don't know if that's, uh, you're uh, throwing it to me for a question, but the short answer is yes. Puppet could talk and, and, um, a, a little known fact, pardon the pun. No, Buffett's a puppet was a businessman. He, 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 he was my point of contact. He understood the psychology of the industry, he knew, um, how he could be integrated into storylines that didn't involve just little guys. He's a businessman. I always love doing business with him. Let's talk about, um, Hermie Sadler. He's introduced Ron killings is going to attack him. They have a pull apart, to set up a match. And Don West has maybe the line of the show where he says, Hermie Sadler standing up for the 500 million NASCAR fans. Which is kind of fun. Five hundred million. Don, yeah. Can you believe Don would exaggerate? It doesn't sound Don, like him. Don. Yeah, another thing that just caught me off guard. So this would have been Don's second wrestling event. And we asked him to get hit by a kid to a stick by puppet. <laughs> yes. I found that kind of amusing. His second event ever of being on air. Hey Don, uh, we're gonna have this little guy knock the shit out of you with a, with a kid stick. Okay, sure. Sign me up. AJ gets a win over, uh, David young. Ken Shamrock is going to beat uh, malice. Uh, and then, um, we're also going to see AJ and Jerry Lynn team up to face the rainbow express. Uh, so they might have a little tag run together too, but we're coming up to the main event and it's going to be the crowning of the NWA world tag team champions eventually. Uh, but now we've got Ron killings and yourself against Brian Christopher and Scott hall. Uh, Meltzer was pretty critical saying hall blew up because he had to work almost the entire match based on the storyline. Uh, when he finally went for the hot tag, Christopher turned on him. Hall actually bounced all three around with offense reminiscent of the last years of the career of dusty Rhodes. before they finally overcame him. And Christopher laid him out with the hip hop drop and Jarrett beat him with the stroke. Jarrett pounded on hall, cut a promo on hall. They took hall out on a stretcher and Jarrett pounded him on the stretcher, knocked him off, et cetera. It was a very well done professional looking main event angle. So I guess he liked it more than I thought, but it, you end with heat and a swerve, but Scott Hall ne- necessarily doesn't get a glowing review. Were you thinking at this point, Scott's going to be with you long-term or are you thinking, Hey, we're going to use him for X number of dates and then just see how it goes. 
you know, when you say long-term again, pulling back going in full context, 26 shows, 52 episodes in one year, uh, from a budget perspective, we couldn't have Scott, you know, on every, did we want him all, all 26? No. Could we afford him all, all 26? No. What was our plans to have him around for the next year? And then some, he goes without saying, I've always been very high on his ability. And so is my father and, and everybody involved. So we wanted him around and I'm assuming that was a storyline that he was going to be gone for a couple of tapings and, and then come back. One thing I want to note on is that you sort of skipped over on from day one, how we um, handled and crafted AJ Styles. He had probably wrestled David Young more than anybody in his career up to this point. And his first singles match was with David. And so, you know, to, 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 again, from the very beginning, we, we, we had a vision for AJ and we really, really, really wanted to be very careful in, in building him uh, through the, the weeks and months and obviously the years to come. The next day is the 4th of July and you have a cookout at your house with Jill. Uh, you meet with your dad and even Vince Russo. I guess it's probably impossible at this point to separate business and pleasure. I mean, this is now a 24 seven, all consuming thing that you're literally all in on, right? Yes. Uh, so that would have been July 4th was on a Thursday. Yeah. I mean, that's the next day. Saying, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I have to, I, I can remember having one cookout, uh, and for whatever it was, I can remember during this scene debut. And the reason I know that is there was a TNA get together, not a booking, not a business meeting, but there was a get together right when Cena was debuting. And I remember a, a lot of us coming in and, and watching it on the big screen downstairs. I don't know why I went off on a tangent, but yes. So it's, uh, it's a get together. Uh, I'll, I'll, uh, shut up and listen again, but, uh, where were you going with that? What the July holiday bash three days later, you hire Vince Russo officially. Gotcha. He's going to take a hundred thousand dollar offer from you guys instead of the $125,000 offer from the WWE where he got to stay at home. I guess to add context, I think at the time Russo is living in Atlanta and this would require that he travel to Nashville for shows and, and go to the events. Whereas he had a, a pretty sweet gig, 125 grand a year to just be a consultant working from home for the WWE, but he doesn't want to be on the sidelines. He wants, he didn't maybe even want to be in that environment. He wants to be with you. Can you tell me about that decision and what went into that? On his part? No, I, no. I mean, what do you mean? Hiring him? I, well, I think uh, we, we've documented that he, he, he had ideas for wrestling that maybe weren't in line with your dad's. Yes. And he has an offer. He's gainfully employed somewhere else in the middle of all this talk. And he's your buddy and he's going to help you out. He takes a job from WWE and now he's back. Mm -hmm. It feels like it's back and forth. And it, to me, it feels like. You know, sometimes problems just have a way of working themselves out. And I, I call that a self-correcting problem. And it felt like, Hey, if he's not getting along with my dad and, but he needs a job. Oh wait, he's going to work with Vince. Well, I kind of would have liked to have worked with him, but if he goes and takes the McMahon gig, we can still maintain our friendship, live to fight another day. And he's out of my dad's hair, which is probably something that I need to be mindful of. And this way there's no hurt feelings, but now he's going to walk away from that and come back. And it feels like you have to at least have that inner dialogue of, 
shit, this ain't going to work with him and dad, but I kind of need him, but I kind of don't hate the idea that he's up there. Cause I'm going to do this either way. Or were you feeling overwhelmed and just felt like, fuck, I got to have some help. I can't do all this by myself. No, I, I mean, Vince in, you know, so coming off of, of me, not just working with Vince at WWF, uh, but observing, you know, whether it was rock or Austin or Vince McMahon or Mick Foley or DX, uh, you know, who I was very close to the DX guys, um, or, or with me, you know, Vince collaborating on promos and, and Vince, I'll call it the script writing ability, um, that I, I, I definitely thought there was a role for him and, and he could be an asset. I also knew that my dad and, and, you know, Dutch and whoever we'll call it from the wrestling side of things weren't the biggest fans, but, um, I've always had maybe overconfident at times in my abilities to, I mean, later I successfully for a short period of time, got Jim Cornette and Vince Russo to work together. Uh, so getting guys in the same room and trying to let down their guard and ego, uh, and having to have it their way or the highway and saying, guys, everybody bring their strengths to the table and forget about your weaknesses at the very best of your abilities. That was my mindset. And Vince, um, had obviously written, uh, raw and, and then SmackDown, but then nitro and thunder. And he had uh, an ability, you know, Jeremy also had sat on creative meetings in WCW. I knew there was a role for him. He was into production. So I, I, yeah, I thought Vince was an asset and I thought I could manage. I think what you're looking for on the answer is I thought I could manage personalities. Personality. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Borash is sort of, for lack of a better word at times, your right-hand man. Fair to say. Oh, I mean, yes. The short answer is ring announcer, which is not only on screen, but also, um, crowd, uh, MC. Yeah. Yeah. MC. Yeah. There you go. That's the word of MC, but also, uh, this was early in the days, but he had editing skills. He had creative vision. Uh, he's all uh, consumed with it. Just like you, he's 24 seven, just like you. Without a doubt. So I guess my, what I was driving to is where is he on Russo? He worked well with Russo. He liked Russo. Yeah. Yeah. Jeremy can get along with anybody. And, and, and when I mean that, not just from a passive perspective that, okay. Uh, but you know, JB always looked to me as, all right, you're the boss. What do you want? And, and such a really good way that he knew, um, he, he knew my perception or, or not my perception, my thoughts that, okay, we have to manage the Jerry, Jarrett, Vince Russo relationship. And Jeremy, a lot of times, was an extension of my thought process. Okay, I'm going to hear both sides out. He's got a good relation to this day, relationship to this day with both of them, I think. I guess, I guess what I'm trying to dig out is, was he an advocate for Russo? Yes. Okay. So it, a, a lot of stuff's about to change here on July 10th. This is directly from your dad's book. Frank Romano from Indeman had been meeting with Jeff, Bob Ryder, and Ron Harris. The meeting was intended to be about how Indeman could help us get the cable companies to run spots, AKA commercials for our show. Ryder, who along with me, Jerry had serious doubts about Jay Houseman, 
asked Romano outright. If the numbers houseman had been giving us were correct, Bob gave Romano copies of what he thought were the in-demand flash reports. Romano said the reports did not come from in-demand. This wasn't even their letterhead that was used for the flash report. At the end of the meeting, we had discovered that Hosman had created fake reports and used an in-demand letterhead that he created on his own. Not only that, but he, Jay Hosman, told in-demand not to market us because his company was handling the marketing. Hosman has been telling us that in-demand had not held up their end of the bargain. In short, Hosman had been lying about buy rates and had deliberately misled us concerning the marketing. By Hosman's numbers, we thought we had about 175,000 buys for the first three shows. Instead, in demand is projecting us at about 50,000 for all three shows combined. Tell me about this meeting. I can just imagine you go white as a fucking ghost. <laughs> Conrad, as you were reading that, uh, if this would have been a movie scene and you would have gotten close-ups of my face and close-ups of my father's face and Frank Moran, Frank, Frank, uh, Frank Romano, you know, when a guy has to deliver bad news, yep. but he just doesn't want to say it, but he knows its position. And he flew down from New York and here's these wrestling promoters and guys, and, and we're in the arena. And mind you, the event is going to take place in, I don't know, a couple hours. And he starts giving us this news. And again, I'm going to go back to a tight shot of me or a tight shot. I mean, it was the delivery of that son of a, cause the, you know, the fake letterhead and the just complete deceit, not just fudge of numbers and Hey man, it's, I think they're pretty good, but we're waiting on some number. You know, we knew all the stuff about, these aren't exact and you, you know, you really don't know till you actually get that money deposited into your account. All those types of the ins and outs of the 90 day, 90 day delay on, on money, but false letterhead and, and complete fabrication. That was a gut punch. That was a real gut punch. To put it in perspective, you guys think you have 875 grand in receivables. In reality, you have 250,000. And you told us before that you thought you were going to be spending about a hundred grand to show. So now instead of being hugely profitable, um, maybe not so much you're in the hole. It, it, it's one of those deals you just go, but again, um, we're so early in the game and, you know, uh, from a creative perspective, you know, I always have always thought three, six and nine month increments, maybe a year increment, but, but just the vision and how are we going to go? But all of a sudden you somewhat comes to a screeching halt, but also knowing that hell South, uh, that was, I don't say fallback on, but Richard was, he was all in with us and, 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 and he was at that point. It's not like I had a reason to believe him. He was that, that we had the, documentation and the ability to draw down, uh, on, on the line of credit. So it was a gut punch though, for sure. It was a gut punch. What's going through your mind. Is it 
all my money's gone. What the fuck are we going to do now? I can't wait to kill that son of a bitch. It wasn't uh, what the hell we're going to do now. It's all my money. It wasn't where, you know, all my money's gone. It was why. And I cannot believe, but then, you know, it, it goes, you know, that was maybe be what, what maybe be what I'm telling my saying, maybe, uh, one of those deals where I go, I trusted the wrong guy. Yeah. I mean, I absolutely trusted the wrong guy to the point where I'm going, no, there's not some big conspiracy deal because of the Bonnie worth and, and, and WWE relation, you know, that whole relationship. But it was like, this guy has taken his consulting fee. And, um, I mean, he took us, I mean, you kind of know right then when you fabricate with false letterhead, you go, okay, (laughs) he got us. Now, how are we going to strategically move on? And and I know you don't, we don't know exactly what you were paying him. And one day I'm going to convince you to get those fucking laptops out and let's get all the reports together. But still, if we think we're paying the guy five grand a week, we're three weeks in, he has monumentally fucked you guys for in the scheme of things, a paltry sum of money. Yes. Yes. It's not a, like I get, I'm not saying you should ever fuck anybody, but if he fucked you around and then he pocketed half a million dollars, that's one thing. But he got over on you and cost you hundreds of hundreds of thousands of dollars. So he could make an extra 15, 20, 25,000. What the fuck? Well, and, and also shame on me. <laughs> My father had not operated in the pay-per-view industry ever. Yeah. And, and so the belief of the marketing capabilities, again, Look, uh, we've run shows on a small time basis in three generations and then weekly in Memphis level, Evansville. But but to have a pay-per-view company knowing that, OK, if we spend money and there's a lot of, you know, co-op advertising. I know you're well aware, but you may give people a uh, uh, a quick lesson on co-oping that if I put 10 bucks up, the cable operators, they're going to put 10 bucks up. It's, and it's common with like Rolex or major brands and car dealerships. So like your local Kia, you know, if he's got billboards all over town, your local Kia dealer, and he's got commercials all over broadcast and cable in your area, he's only paying about half of that. Yeah. And here's the CD underside of that. What a lot of those dudes do is they run two sets of invoices and rip them off. The idea being they're going to purport to Kia that, Hey, for us to be on our local CBS affiliate, it's going to be uh, 40 grand. So we just need to go ahead and get the 20 grand from you. And then they go negotiate a good racehorse deal and get a separate invoice. And they wind up only actually running a $20,000 schedule. So Mr. Car dealer himself didn't pay for a goddamn thing, (laughs) but that's, that that's the trick of you learn on my world. Thank you folks. We'll see you next week. No, Uh, that's how they do it though. Yeah. So, but, 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 but Jay, with that mindset, knowing, and, and, you know, when, when I have, uh, that startup mode, okay. If we find, let's just pick a number, 50 cities that bought into this concept, right. Really get going. And we see, we're making some, Hey, it's not like a, yes, it's a national promotion, but if we find markets and word of mouth continues and we eventually, Hey, we're going to go run a live event there, a non-televised 
but we're going to run a presidential election and then start keying in on the successful states. And these sta- these individual cable operators are going to be making money off the Wednesday night shows. And then they're going to use their co-op money and they're going to help market us all that type of planning that went into the growth strategy of, you know, year two, year three, whatever it may be. Jay didn't even have it cleared. So, I mean, it was just a complete house of cards that he built for us. That was all fabricated lies. You know, we're seeing a lot of feedback on the podcast that people have started to come around on Jeff Jarrett, maybe for whatever reason, they just didn't like Jeff when they saw him on TV. And I get that. But eventually he wears you down and he decides, okay, I'll give it a shot. And bam. My world's your new favorite podcast. There's no denying Jeff Jarrett. And there's no denying blue chew. It's time to come around guys. You've heard us talk about blue chew until we're blue in the face. And we're doing this because it's really working for our listeners. Folks, just like you are, uh, shall we say, turning the volume up at home. And if you're like me, it's been a hell of a year. You probably feel like you've aged like 12 years over the last 12 months, but it's time to turn back the clock in the bedroom. Snap out of it. Spring is here. Get sprung with blue chew. Blue Chew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as both Viagra and Cialis, but in chewable form and at a fraction of the cost. Blue Chew's tablets help men achieve harder and stronger erections to combat all forms of erectile dysfunction. And Blue Chew is an online prescription service, so there's no visits to the doctor. There's no awkward conversation. There's no waiting in line at the pharmacy. And it ships right to your door in a discreet package. Now, the process is simple. You sign up at bluechew.com. You'll consult with one of their licensed medical providers. And once you're approved, you'll get your prescription within a few days. But the best part, it's all online. Blue Chew's licensed medical providers work with you to find the right ingredient and strength for your prescription. And if you don't like swallowing pills, there's no problem here, Bubba. How about this? Blue Chew's Sildenafil and Tadalafil tablets are chewable. And Blue Chew's tablets are made in the USA and they prepare and ship direct. So it's cheaper than a pharmacy. So if it's faster, it's easier, it's cheaper. Why would you do this? If you could benefit from extra confidence when it's time to perform, visit bluechew.com for more details and important safety information. And we've got a special deal for our listeners. Try Blue Chew for free when you use our promo code MYWORLD at checkout. Just pay $5 shipping. That's bluechew.com. The promo code is MYWORLD to receive your first free month. And we'd like to thank Blue Chew for sponsoring the podcast. What are you waiting for? Bluechew.com. And the promo code is my world. Let's, uh, let's that makes go sense, Conrad. I, I would, yes. that makes sense. Yes. Yeah. Let's go back to your dad's book. Uh, quote, I reached a point of almost shock thinking that all of our efforts were for nothing. And Jeff and I had just lost our investment and we were now deep in debt. I sat in a daze for about 30 minutes with Jeff in the stands. You know, at times I really like this story, Jeff, because it, it comes back to essentially kind of a sweet story. You know, it's a father, son, the family business. Now the son's making a run at dad's old business and this is going to be fun. And now we like a scene out of a movie. Like you said, we find ourselves quote, lost our investment and deep in debt. And then you just sit in a daze for about 30 minutes in the stands. Do you remember that? I can, I could take you right now to miss auditorium. And I know it's been remodeled and redone. It's really nice. Now we ought to go there, Conrad, but we'll take the ad free team at some point. And like I did at Von Braun, and I'll walk you through the general area where we sat 
And it was what I remember is look, and you've been in arenas before, but you know, on TV days, there's everybody having little sidebar meetings and going over finishes and this, that. nobody would approach us. We, we were like, okay, they're sitting up there. They don't have a real good look on their face. Uh, my question can wait. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'll slide back in the locker room or slide back into catering or whatever, but yes, sat up there and just really processed. And neither one of us said really a damn thing to each other. From your dad's book. My plan is to slash costs to the bone, scale back the operation under 30,000 per show. All this depends on Jeff being able to explain the situation to health South and then buying into the plan. Otherwise we are out of business and have lost our investment. Was that the way you felt? Knowing what we knew as a father's, not just father, son, but yeah, that, that, that we look, we've again, WMC TV, 1960 union Avenue Memphis TV is a new studio. And that's where the biggest box office angles were done between Lawler and Dundee. And the list goes on and on. We needed a place to produce content. So us slashing cost. Uh, was not going to be an issue in my brain from a production point of view. And Keith Mitchell concurred with that. Even that night, it was okay. Talent. Um, I, I, we got to get a strategy there because that's reeling it in. And, and we've got to get a core group of guys that, um, that would get on board. Um, and, and, and we did, but at that time, that's where my brain went. We've got to get a core roster to keep on keeping on. That was, uh, I knew we had our work cut out, but it's not like I went into this. I can tell you this, I didn't get it. I never went into deep, dark depression or, Oh no, what are we going to do? I'm like, okay, this is the hand we're dealt. Look, that's, that's life. Um, on, on a real small microcosm. I can't tell you how many times, uh, little spot shows across the territories that a week before the show's out, I mean, I can't tell you how many times my grandmother would get off the phone with a coach or my dad or Eddie Marlin, and they have this spot show, and they keep getting numbers in uh, from, oh, yeah, we're selling tickets here, and we're selling tickets there. And then my grandmother or grandfather would get on the phone with the coach and say, I want to know exactly how much money you have right now, like right today. And it shows on Friday. This may be a Monday call or a week before, and they'll go. Well, I've got this stack of tickets. Okay, you've got a stack of tickets. How many tickets have you sold? Well, we hadn't really started selling tickets. So many shows a week out when you're dealing with these independent promoters, they don't. They, they, it's just not their game. So um, having those type of, oh boy, all right, here's what we got to do. And in a week's time, many times in spot shows, I've seen a thousand tickets sold in a couple of days. Many, many times. So it can be done if you roll up your sleeves and get out in the community and work. This was obviously a lot bigger community. So I I knew we had our work cut out, Conrad, and I was ready for the task. What's the pitch to Health South? Uh, Fixed location. Uh, We are working through, and you know, and I'm sure I had multiple calls with my legal guys to just make sure that. we were all on the same page that here's the deal. We've got a bad pay-per-view consultant. That is one issue that we'll take care of, but part and parcel of that 
we're going to get to a fixed location. We're slashing cost. And that's the conversation that took place with Tad. Uh, Little did we know what was coming up in a couple of weeks, but we told them the strategy is we're, we're taking it. We're not going to be on the road uh, every other week. We're taking it to a fixed location. You said Tad. Explain who Tad is. Oh, uh, one of the uh, CFOs of HealthSouth. Richard's financial guy. So you're not talking to Richard. You're talking to his money guys. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And that was Richard, you know, being the CEO of Hell South. And that's what he wanted. He didn't have time for this. No. Uh, are you concerned about this news getting out there? Uh, you know, I, I don't mean for this to sound weird, but perception is reality. And if the perception is, Hey man, they're selling a bunch of pay-per-views and now all of a sudden, no, they're not. And in fact, they've probably overspent based on false information. They've been hoodwinked. Are you nervous that, man, this is going to be embarrassing to us. This is not a good look. We need to keep this quiet because it doesn't exactly stay quiet. Yeah. No, I mean, look, or were you trying to curry favor and think, you know what? Let's just go tell the truth. We're the baby faces here. We did nothing wrong. You know, I mean, that, that goes a long way. I mean, manage the message. Uh, I was, you know, the best we could, but at the end of the day, Jay Hossman sold us a bill of goods. It wasn't accurate, but Hey guys, we're going to have a show next Wednesday. And then we're going to go the next Wednesday. And guess what? We're going to have one as, as opposed to every other week live, we're going live weekly. That was, uh, that was a real positive that we're going to counteract. um, you know, the, 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 the Jay Hosman to go on weekly live every week in a fixed location. So managing the message. So how quickly do you get working on a lawsuit and how quickly do you fire Jay Hasman? And what does that conversation sound like? Uh, the, you know, I knowing that this was the topic, I, I, uh, obviously tried to jar my brain that was turned over to legal on, you know, whatever the legal letter was and sending the notification and also terminating any relationship that we thought he even might have, which it turned out he didn't have the ones we thought he did, but you know, direct TV dish in demand cable, uh, uh, cable operators in Canada. Hey, this guy is not with us at all. He's terminated. So your legal partner handled all that. Oh, all of it. Do you have a, do you have a conversation with him or at that point, do you just think Jay, I can't remember. That's another thing. I can't remember the last conversation I had with Jay. I don't know if it was the, the, the BS flash reports that we've sort of already gone into and a couple of follow-up calls after that, but I was talking to him maybe daily, if not every, every other day, but you know, often. And then it just, the, the, the BS letterhead, all my. Screw this. Let's... Wait, so you never spoke to him again? You never motherfuckered him on the phone? I don't recall that. No. Well. Um, and here's the thing, like I know you're gonna sue him, but if the guy's out here trying to hustle five grand a week, he ain't got no money, right? Well, and here's one of those deals that when I in in ninety five when uh, I walked out on Vince and knowing my contractual status and getting, uh, uh, you know, I I've been, you know, around the legal system a couple of times up to this point in 95, I asked my attorney, like, what's it going to cost to fight this? And he just laughed at me. Then, you know, the China deal, it's like, Jeff, be very careful. I talked to my attorney before I went to Cleveland 
look, I want to get my money. And, and here's why. Uh, because in my attorney's like, you damn right. Once you leave, they will pay you anything they want to pay you. And they're going to challenge you to come get it. Cause then you got to burn up what they're going to pay you. And they know that beforehand. And so that goes into that whole mentality. If I didn't get my money that night, it was over. It was game, set, match, no matter what it was. Um, so going into the hospital situation and knowing all this, I, I immediately like cut bait. Let's move on. Let's get there. there there's nothing in this guy, but he is a dirty, he, he deserves what he, what he gets. Uh, and, but it was turned over to legal. Yes. Your dad had, uh, discovered message boards. And by the way, remind me at the end of the show, I'm going to bring up a message board to you. Uh, he goes on the wrestlingclassics.com message board back then. And he says, Jeff and I are wrestling purists, just as many fans here. The difference is we've put up everything we have in our effort to present an alternative to sports entertainment. Our plan was simple. We believe that there were 50,000 wrestling fans who would pay $10 a week or $40 per month to have an alternative sports entertainment. This was based on the fact that WWE has from 300,000 to 1 million fans of sports entertainment who will pay $35 per month to see their product. We were well aware that production values, talent, storylines, content, etc., were all factors that could negatively affect the buy rate. We still thought the market would support us enough to make the plan successful. We are finding that many of the wrestling purists did exactly as I did 10 years ago. And that is go on to something else. We are finding that there are many fewer fans who really want an alternative to sports entertainment than we anticipated. Therefore, we can either attempt to attract a few of the WWE fans or pack up and go home. We have risked everything in our venture. Therefore, not because of our personal taste, but out of necessity, we're compromising our wrestling purist instincts and attempting to create a broader fan base. ECW did a great job of creating a product for the hardcore wrestling fan. The simple fact was that the base of their fans was not sufficient to keep them in business. This almost feels like your dad is, uh, all a second, second guessing his decision oh. to come back into business. Mm, yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll let you decide that. I mean, but, but certainly, well, did so you that, feel that way? Did you feel that way a month or two in that your dad what? was kind of wishes he just never put any money up, never went down this road. Let me just stick to fucking gas stations. And, and the short answer is yes. It's all, he's always been a ping pong ball. He's in one day, he's out the next, he's in one day out the next. I would even forgot that he had quit when you wrote that, that, that when he read the book, um, yeah. When that was, I mean, you know, but that that's growing up, going, growing up around him. He's always been that way. He's a car salesman one day, a promoter the next day, re-imaging uh, gas stations the next, selling case knives the next, and then I'm going to go fishing in Sanibel Island for a whole month. What? Yeah, <laughs> that's him. In the follow-up from all this, uh, it comes out that it appears that it was unethical. For him to him being Jay Hossman to represent TNA while also working for a company that represented WWE. What company was he working for that also represented WWE? Do you recall? Yeah, team services. That's what I was. And that was always a, a slippery slope that he said, no, I, I, you know, I, it's, I, 
it say in any documents or notes you have, Conrad? What was the name of his company, or did we pay him directly, Jay Hospital, Lindsey Ball? But it, it came out later that he was working directly for Bonnie Worth and Team Services. And Team Services is a pay-per-view marketing entity. Let's uh, let's keep it rolling here. Uh, I know we're we're starting to wind it down on this one. Uh, he's going to send you bogus emails that supposedly came from in demand. He's going to send you these bogus flash reports. He's also going to tell in demand that he's dropping TNA right after the first meeting, uh, yet still got paid by TNA. And he told in demand that Lynn Sabal would be representing TNA while telling you that Sabal was his partner. And you're taking, you're talking at the time about legal action, not just against Hossman, but also WWE. Did you feel like there was some sort of collusion here with WWE? Well, I felt that the due diligence that we didn't do, uh, you know, obviously we'll, it'll rest on our shoulders completely. But uh, again, it, during the, the, we'll call it right in the middle of the fire, it became obvious that he brought Lynn on board and Lynn was going to be the quasi TNA rep and he could have his cake and eat it too and still work for Bonnie and get that WWE money. And that laid on Bonnie's shoulders to a certain degree. Uh, as time went along, the reason Jay went to jail is because, and I don't know if fraud's the right word, but him and Bonnie got crossways and he had borrowed money from Bonnie and never paid her back. And that's when it, that relationship ended up souring. That was why Jay went to jail. Jay didn't go to jail over what he did uh, to us. But um, as we were in this fire, it became very clear that Jay wanted to work for WWE and get that check through team services and also TNA. And Hey, I'm going to just sort of make the handoff and introductions, but really the account's going to be Lynn Sabal and Lynn had nothing to do with team services. Jay wove a pretty ugly, uh, spider web for himself. Yeah. Your dad is even going to reach out to Vince McMahon on July 25th to talk about Jay and Vince confirms to your dad that yes, Jay's been to the WWE headquarters with team services for marketing meetings. And well, we've got another, quite, gut, punch. another gut punch, quite the story. The torch would say Jay Hassman. And, and by the way, lots of people are spelling it different ways. Is it H a S S M a N or H U S is there a U in there? I I've always thought there was, I see it both ways. Let's just get into it. Jay Hassman had been hiring by Jarrett to handle the marketing of his pay-per-views. Hassman worked for WCW in its pay-per-view division had at one point, put a group together, attempting to purchase ECW wrote the original business plan for the XWF and was involved in the early planning stages of NWA TNA. He was recommended to Jarrett by colleagues as an expert in the pay-per-view industry. Hassman while working for NWA TNA was also working for a marketing group, team sports which had been hired by WWE. Of course, we know that's team services. Hassman, as of last week, no longer works for Jarrett. Jarrett is not commenting publicly on the situation other than implying on his message board statements that the actions of people from within the company has set his company back and he's taking appropriate action in response. Torch calls to Jay Hassman were not returned before deadline. While Jarrett was originally giving the indications that his first TNA events drew strong buy rates in small sample markets. And that if projected nationally would lead to a buy rate of 80,000 or more, it turns out those markets might not be reflective of the entire country. 
those figures that have been supplied to him with the intent to mislead him into continuing to produce big budget shows for several more weeks until he ran out of money only then to find out the estimated buy rates were inaccurate. Torch readers have sent in notes about cases of TNA pay-per-view ads being purchased on cable systems that didn't even offer TNA pay-per-views. For example, we had one reader in Des Moines, Iowa. There have been other instances of cable companies that were carrying TNA pay-per-views on their systems, but they were never sent any marketing materials by Hosman or in demand. Had Jarrett continued to operate under the impression the buy rates were strong. He might've never discovered the apparently counterproductive marketing choices being made. When Jarrett first launched TNA, he spent upwards of a quarter million dollars in production costs each week to give a good first impression. He continued to spend that money on the weeks three through five because of the early buy rates he had been given. Now Jarrett is reeling because he was budgeting as if the events were purchased in the 50 to a hundred thousand range. And those estimates, if he believed to be reliable, trustworthy numbers, when in fact they were closer to 10,000 to 25,000. Had he known three weeks ago that the shows weren't being properly marketed and thus the buy rates were lower. He could have adjusted his budget accordingly and made immediate marketing changes. Now, after weeks of unknowingly overspending, he's having to make major cutbacks, which would threaten the strength of his programs and thus long-term viability of the company catching on. Jarrett is spending his own life fortune on this project a project he strongly believed in. He doesn't have an endless corporate money to absorb a few wasted weeks, which were relatively big budgets. Yet advertising was completely misdirected, perhaps intentionally with the intent to hurt his promotion. Tuesday this week, TNA announced that it's exploring syndication of a one hour program to help publicize its events. It's a small compromise in Jarrett's original formula which can sit, which constituted making fans pay to see his product. So the idea here is, and it's even in the torch. And we talked about it with the whole call to Eric Bischoff, somebody somewhere, you or your dad or both is starting to wonder, maybe we do need TV to sell the fucking pay-per-view after all. And I don't know. It's interesting to me to think about when that crossroads happened. And you guys really had to spin your hat around and get to work finding a TV deal. But you're saying that was not the case as of at, at this point. No, too. We realized that in demand was not good. Well, I'll say the cable systems were not going to market us like period. And so what was the most economical way is basically put together an infomercial of, you know, and I say TV, but, but not as in a raw SmackDown uh, nitro mindset where that was a self-contained program. Yes, it's episodic, but you tuned in to watch a Monday night raw main event or a nitro main event, the, the explosion show. And that was the very, very early stages of what explosion would be, would be a essentially a 60 minute infomercial directly by Wednesday, by Wednesday, by Wednesday, because we realized these <laughs> cable operators, not only are they going to not promote us, some of them aren't even going to carry us. It's so fascinating to see all that's happening here, you know, and, and to know that it's really just a story of one con man. I mean, that's really what it is. And the torch detailed it all. If you, if you're interested in seeing more about it, but I think we've pretty well 
covered it all, but I think we, you know, fans want us to put a bow on this story. How long did the legal battle go with Jay? Did you get anywhere in the legal battle with WWE or was that just a dead end street? What's the result of everything here? Um, limited funds because are we going to spend Richard Scrucci and Hell's House money on legal bills or on promoting the product? Yeah. Uh, at, at this point now, now remember this is prior to the Carters Yeah. and that old bomb being dropped, uh, from Hell's South. That's the real nuclear bomb. The Hosman deal was okay. Reel it in. Let's figure this out. We've got to, it, I don't want to say it was just, it was really an, a marketing and an operations uh, huge issue. It wasn't a financial issue uh, per se. Um, but, but um, you know, uh, I was hoping you would have the notes on exactly where this thing petered out, but we made the decision and it was after Bob Carter had come on board. Um, and I don't know how far into that relationship, but we knew Chasen, Jay Hosman and that wasn't going to get us any money. And do we really want to go shuffle paper uh, with McDivitt and WWE? Well, hell no. We're, what's that going to get us? Uh, and so really we had been had and uh, the best thing for us to do uh, is not uh, throw uh, good money after bad. Uh, and so I, I don't know exactly the, the point of um, dropping lawsuits and go our separate ways and all that. Um, but it was in, in the fall, if I remember correctly, in the fall of that year. Eventually Hosman goes to jail, right? Yeah. Yes. Big time. And yeah. it wasn't over the TNA deal. It, it's, it's almost, uh, ironically enough, you know, if you know the Richard Scrooge story, he got off of all the big, and you're an Alabama guy, you know, this better than anybody, but Richard got off of, of the big, big, big case. He, he lost the second one. Yeah. Huh? He yeah. lost the second one. Yeah. Well, Jay Hosman, you know, I don't even think he probably ever spent one legal dollar on the TNA issue. I, I would be safe to say he probably in his mind said, screw them. Let them come sue me. What are they going to get from me? Uh, it, before we got going today, you wanted me to bring up Frank Romano. As we mentioned, uh, he's the guy that you met with. He was also the VP uh, of uh, event programming and operations from in demand or for in demand from 2000 to 2003. And then in 2003, the next year, after what we're talking about, he's going to come join you guys and open a New York office and he'll be with you from 03 to 05. I assume that happens when the Carters come in. And, and Frank was a guy who was our, I, we always, I love Frank, me and him text to this day. It's funny how all these years along with it, but you know, he came in and Frank was, um, you know, he came down multiple times on, um, while he was still on the in-demand payroll to, to get to know the personnel and out of that relationship and going to Dallas and, and I don't want to, we'll get into the Carters and, and how they became majority and the funding and all that. But as a part of all that, um, Frank developed a relationship with Panda and, uh, I really never forget when, when Bob, uh, to this day, God, Bob is on so many different levels. Uh, and so I so successful through the years. He he's a smart man, but he's like, okay, we're a pay-per-view company. Let's go, uh, get someone 
who, who, who not only knows that industry, but not going to BS us. And so Bob had the strategy. I'm going to go hire Frank Romano. And he did. So, you know, less than, I, I don't know the exact timeline, but less than three, six months of Bob getting his feet wet, he went and hired a VP from in demand to be on our side. Man, what a challenge. It's uh it's been fun to sort of lay the groundwork and talk about how you built the company, but man, these, uh, these troubled waters, we don't have to get too far from launch to hit those. Do we, you think my gosh, you know, listen, I know you've, you've answered this a dozen different ways, but this feels like something you would maybe to handle differently. You've told me before. No, nah, man, I didn't talk to Jill about that. I, I took care of that. And she took care of the house. Do you come home and tell Jill, you won't believe this shit, or are you just playing all that close to the vest and just carrying it around with you? Oh, I'm sure I had those conversations. Um, I'm, I'm sure I did. I, I don't recall any one specific, whether it was the Hosman deal or, um, you know, the, the, the hell South deal or any of that, it, it, it just, that wasn't the nature of our relationship to get too granular. I'm going to use your word. Sure. The goings on. Um, but look, I, I wear my emotions on my sleeves. Uh, a lot of times, uh, I, I can, I, I can wear a good mask and, and that got me in trouble through the years. When I say mask, not really letting my emotions or, or like you said, playing cards close to the vest, but there wasn't any, uh, I, to my recollection, any of those conversations that, uh, I go, you ain't gonna believe this again, put it in context. She had battled breast cancer a couple of years before that. So yeah. that's, that's facing real issues. Yeah. Um, a, a business issue pales in comparison to that. Well, we're going to talk about, uh, another business issue next week when we talk about bash at the beach 2000, and then we'll be back to, uh, briefly visit some TNA talk about how the Tennessee Titans saved TNA in two weeks. You don't want to miss that story. By the way, over at adfreeshows.com, you can go check out uh, a fun little watch along of uh, Jeff Jarrett's very first match in the business with our old pal, Tony Falk. You don't want to miss that, but I promised you a little while ago, Jeff, that I was going to have a little message board note for you. Oh boy. Uh, I don't know if you recall, but I think it was part three of our creating TNA series where you referred to Dave as a fiction writer. Oh, here we go. <laughs> and I said, oh, you shouldn't have done that because you'd been, go ahead. you had been really, really nice to him. You had yes. been fair. You had, I am ca- you had called it down the middle daddy, just like Bill Alfonso would have us do it. And <laughs> then you called him a fiction writer and, um, you pissed a lot of people off. A lot of people are upset with you. They're disappointed in you. They took it personally. Seriously. Yeah. So here's the thing. You don't know this, but there's two types of listeners to this show. There's well, all of my shows for that matter. There's people who actually listen to the shows and enjoy them. And then there's a section of listeners who do what I would call hate listening. Oh, okay. And they simply listen because they hate what we do. They hate what you say. I'm sitting under your learning tree right now. Okay. Hate listeners. Did you ever see, um, Howard Stern's movie, private parts? No, sir. So in the movie, they're telling a story about how Howard's ratings are through the roof and they're trying to explain or understand how someone so controversial and so hated and so vilified 
is doing so well. So they poll the people who love it because his, his TSL or time spent listening, mm-hmm. meaning most of the time when you're listening to the radio, you listen for a few minutes. They found that Howard Stern fans listened a lot longer than the average radio listener. Mm-hmm. And when they asked the people who loved Howard, why are you listening? They would say, I can't wait to hear what he says next. And they asked the people who hate him. Why are you listening? If you hate it, why are you spending so much time listening? I can't wait to hear what he says next. It's the same answer. Wow. But some hate you. Some love you. Well, you had curried a lot of favor. You did a Hulk Hogan, 1988 baby face turn on episode one and two and three and four. And Lord, that Owen Hart, man, that wasn't a podcast. That was an experience. People loved you, Jeff. And then I told you not to do it, but you let it fall out of your mouth. Dave Meltzer is a fiction writer here to sell subscriptions or whatever it is you said. And now our friends over at WrestlingObserver.com on the message board, they are not a fan of you. Oh, they have, they have decided that you were the, the con man and the carny that they always knew you were. And, uh, a very well-written post was up there and Dave responded. The gist of the original post was I get the impression. Uh, let me back it up. I finally caught up last night and he got a lot more anti-Dave on the TNA creation part three. And then he doubled down on the most recent TNA debut. I get the impression Dave and Jeff didn't interact much. And Jeff seems to view everyone as a carny as he himself is. I don't get the impression he regularly reads the wrestling observer newsletter and doesn't view Dave as an actual journalist, or at least he doesn't respect journalists. I think Jeff conflates Dave's opinion with his reporting. And if he disagrees with Dave's opinion, Jeff considers that untrue. Hence Dave is a fiction writer, which is why I'm guessing it is a new catchphrase. They came up with to sell some shirts. Actually we weren't yet, but now that is kind of a good idea. Fiction, right? You know, we're nothing if not shameless shills. Uh, Jeff has definitely studied at the altar of Pritchard. He misspells Pritchard. So this guy knows everything about wrestling, but doesn't know there's not a T in there. A T in there, didn't it? He should have put a T on his back that says fiction writer available now at boxagimmicks.com. Just kidding. Jeff definitely has studied at the altar of Pritchard and Bischoff more than Shivani. And Jeff knows that shitting on Dave is the way to drive the listens. First of all, that's not real. That's not what we do. The format of the whole show is what did the smart Mark think happened and where would they get their information? By the way, Dave or Wade, and then what quote unquote really happened with someone who was there. And I like to present both sides and let the audience decide what they believe. Because if we're honest, no one is on here intentionally lying as far as I know ever, but we're talking about stuff that happened 20, 30, hell, sometimes 40 years ago. And there's a chance you don't remember what you had for breakfast last Tuesday. So when I ask something very granular about 1986, there's a chance you're a little fuzzy on it. Does that mean you're intentionally lying? No, it does not. Anyway, Dave responds to this post. That post would continue, but it doesn't matter. Whatever else is said. Here's what Dave says. We interacted during the formation of TNA. The key thing I remember is that Jeff told everyone Russo wasn't going to be involved, even though he was. He insisted to people who did not want to work with Russo, but whenever I'd ask him, he never denied it to me, but would say how Vince needs an editor like Vince McMahon. And he can be that editor. He didn't say he was working with Russo, but I sure got the impression of it. And when I talked to others in the company, they'd swear to me that he outright denied it to them. 
The one thing I remember is that I had the pay-per-view numbers in the first several issues, and they were about 20% of what Jeff was told. He believed I was lying because they were conning him. Not the first or last time that was to happen. So I felt like this was notable and worth bringing up because we did talk about Russo today. And specifically, we talked about the pay-per-view numbers and that's the whole, you know, topic of the show. Did you think when you saw Meltzer report a number much lower than what Jay had given you, Meltzer was intentionally trying to bury your product or your venture? I don't, uh, no, not intentionally bury you. Refrate, uh, restate that. I want to make sure that I'm answering your question accurately. So Jay sends you something and says, you got 90 to a hundred thousand buys. Dave posts in the observer. You got 20% of that. Did you believe that Dave was reporting a low number to hurt the company, to embarrass the company, to ridicule the company? I mean, obviously at the time you didn't know Jay was lying. No, and, I believe and, Dave over Dave. For well, of sure. course, because it says in demand on the fucking letterhead. This is a yeah, guy who's it, in the business versus a guy yes. who's reporting on the business. That's a different thing. And I don't mean wrestling business. I mean, pay-per-view business. Yes. Yes. So either way though, did you, Dave's is saying you, you thought he was lying and he wasn't lying. He was factual. You were being lied to. Yes. My point is why would Dave lie about the number? What would be his motivation if not to hurt the company? Well, and and here's how I'm going to say I've had the blessing that every week, and this goes back to the late eighties and early nineties when the observer would be in Lawler's suitcase or, you know, like, oh my gosh, he's got the, you know, in those days I would read some results and again, wins and losses and Dave would be completely wrong on wins and losses, completely wrong on, on a lot of things. And I used to think, how can he get this stuff? That, like whoever, obviously Dave's not in the building in Evansville, Indiana, but how can he get this so wrong that, yeah, we might've done that Tuesday night in Louisville, but Wednesday we had to change it up and we had to change it up because this guy was late and all that, you know? So Dave was very inaccurate often in the Memphis reporting or the U S David reporting and whatever it may be. And, and so did I think he'd do that to like, it's inconsequential. Does Billy, Gra- Billy Joe Travis win or lose, but Dave would put the wrong finish or whatever it may be. So I would begin to believe Dave's writing his own story to sell his own subscriptions. So why is he reporting it wrong? Maybe that benefits Dave. I believe Jay Hosman wholeheartedly. So Dave, Maybe he wants to bash it because he hates Russo or doesn't like my dad or doesn't like me or doesn't like in demand or doesn't like Jay Hosman. He had an agenda. We all have agenda through life. I, I, I guess I never really thought that granular. Why is Dave reporting inaccuracies? Well, as I said here today in 2021, uh, Dave does do quite a bit of research and due diligence and blah, 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 blah. And, and has ends in the industry that go much deeper than Jay Hosman. I'll say that, yeah. but I believe Jay over Dave at so, that time, obviously. Do you want to issue a public apology for calling him a fiction writer now? <sighs> Dave, <laughs> you're listening and we're two hours in. He's not listening. 
He's, you know, that man's working. He's writing 9,000 words a minute right now. And I've said it before. You talk about being an incredible marketer. And and if the message boards don't like this, think about a guy who's made millions. Yeah. And this ain't no joke. You listeners out there. This is a guy who makes mid, uh, at least mid six figures, maybe higher than that. But over his 30 year career, he's made millions upon millions off of selling words off of a scripted entertainment, subjective business. And he's literally sold a piece of paper and now obviously online and subscriptions hats off to that guy. You talk about a real, when you drill it right down, what a promoter. Well, I don't know that it's so much a promoter. Cause I don't, I don't really consider him a promoter. I mean, okay. He provides a service. His work ethic is unbelievable. You know, the the idea that he cranks out that many words every week. And I think he's missed one week ever. That's crazy. That's unbelievable. Like you can't have a real normal life (laughs) and do that. You can't like I've been burning at both ends doing all these podcasts and it's, it's wore my ass out. I'm stretched real thin right now. I can't imagine keeping this pace up. For decades and somehow Dave has managed to do it. And by the way, he did it with his credibility intact. Like I know that, you know, Bruce and Eric both take their pot shots and I get it, um, because that's their opinion, but he is the preeminent authority on, on professional wrestling. Like as far as a wrestling journalist goes and don't get me wrong. I think Mike Johnson and Sean Rossap and all those guys are phenomenal, but I'm saying to have a record you can go back and look at from the eighties to now, there's no better resource than the observer. I mean, I've been a subscriber since 97 and I always will be, I value his opinion a great deal, but I also know a lot of what we read is his opinion. I mean, the whole star rating thing, that's one guy's opinion of a match. So when people say, oh, it should have been a quarter star hire, his opinion should have been different. <laughs> like that's silly to debate to me, but when it comes to the actual news and facts, and listen, that's kind of morbid, but dude, his obituary pieces, you have to have an appreciation for a guy who puts that much research in and tries to pay tribute to a guy's career and gets the little nuances and the little stories from 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago. Anyway, you're out here calling him a fiction writer and you done pissed everybody off and you need to walk it back. You motherfucker. You <laughs> Conrad. So I'm, I, I'm this isn't Dublin down, but I'll say this. He's a writer. And, and, and you know, uh, Jackie Fargo had a conversation with me years. Gosh, I don't even think I was a year into the business, but he talked about Pally. I do horrible impersonations, but he talked about longevity. Yeah. That that is the name of the game. Yeah. Because if you're in and out in a couple of years, he, he's, he'd call me kid. Kid, what good does that do? And he would point his finger at Jerry Lawler and he would actually take a pot shot. You know, my dad really had about a less than a 10 year wrestling career. I mean, like, you know, he got into promoting, but like an entering career, he told me, I mean, and he was, what a gift this was. Yeah. Don't do all this crazy stuff. You won't be around to talk about it. Don't take all these crazy bumps to learn your trade and learn how to work with anybody and learn how to give 15, 20 different styles of promos and all that, but all about longevity. So I'm, I'm going around to say is Dave's style that he created. You have to admit that it is factual base. So there's your nonfiction. 
but he also has a way of writing his opinion and his opinion. You're, you're getting your feathers ruffled over there. There's some fiction in that. He has a way to weave his opinions in with facts. And the end result is he's made a fortune doing that. So my hat's off to him for that. Well, do you disagree that there's not some fiction in his writing or subjectivity? I don't, I don't, I hand to God. Don't believe Dave Meltzer ever sat down and wrote something that he felt was untrue. Do you watch Seinfeld? Have you ever watched Seinfeld? Say, and you're going to learn this, like Jeremy Bore, all my longtime friends, like Jeff, do you never watch movies? Do you? So I've watched some episodes of Seinfeld. Do you know uh, who mean, George Costanza is? Oh, gotcha. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He had a line that says, it's not a lie if I believe it. Oh yeah. I've heard that before. Now, my thing is, I don't think for a minute that Dave Meltzer has ever lied. I, I'm sure I mean, we're, we've all lied. We're all fallible humans, but I'm saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think he's ever intentionally lied or misled anyone but the word is intent. So that's what I'm looking for is the intent. And, yeah. and, and, and Bruce and Eric sometimes foolishly think he sits down, just makes shit up. He doesn't. Someone told him something and then he believed it now because Dave believes what someone told him that, and then he printed it. Does that make him a liar? No, he believes it. So uh, that's my point is I got you, boy, you talk about getting granular on fiction versus nonfiction. Well, so and, and also with it for you, subjectivity, it, Dave is a very subjective writer at times. Other times it's facts. Yes. That he, he gets from multiple sources, but that word about integrity and journalism, it, it, it's like when you watch CNN or MSNBC or Fox news now, do you, it, it's, it's like. It is everybody's got a slant as you're, as what you're saying. Oh my. That, that's, that, that's what I'm saying is because it sells, it does subscriptions. It does ratings. It does nobody. The human brain doesn't want just the facts. I, I got you. Now, let me give you a real estate example. Cause that's what I do. So if we were to come do an appraisal on your beautiful home on the lake there, we would have two values on that report. We would have a cost and then we would have a comp. The mm-hmm. idea being. How many square feet is your house? How many bedrooms and baths are, are, are in your house? That's all very objective, right? Like we can't debate how big your house is run the fucking tape and let's do the math. And that's how big it is. But now when it comes to what houses are we going to compare it to? So like what's, what's it cost to build your house? Well, we could figure that out. But when it comes to what is your house worth based on other houses in the neighborhood or in the area? Well, now it's very subjective. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like if you go down to the granite yard, you and Karen are going to go do a kitchen remodel, boy, they got all kinds of different granite at all kinds of different price points. You could pick some that are 10 times more expensive than another, but is an appraiser coming through your house going to notice that is a new buyer going to notice that or no. So it's very subjective. And I do believe that a lot of people, myself included, I don't just want to read the observer to get the news. I want to read the observer to get Dave's opinion. Yeah. Even though, I mean, I know Dave, we're not like best friends or nothing, but I consider Dave like one of my wrestling friends because I know what his opinions are and I know what his beliefs are and I know what he likes and what he dislikes. So I sometimes want to know, Hey, what's my wrestling friend think of this? So I read the observer for his opinion. Uh, but I think what you're talking about is maybe not just opinion, but sometimes he will, as he should speculate. Here's what I think could happen, but sometimes people take his speculation and best guess 
and assume that it's fact. And then guys like you get on here and say, he's a fiction writer and it just minimalizes his life's work. And you're, and you're, you've, you've alienated half of our audience and our podcast is probably going to die now because everybody (laughs) who listens to this knows that Eric and Bruce have terrible podcasts that nobody listens to that nobody advertises on. We can't find an advertiser to save our life. Nobody (laughs) likes it. And anyway, no, seriously, you should apologize because I know you don't really feel that way about Dave. You like his stuff. You read his stuff. We talk about his stuff. So get that fiction writer shit out of here, Jeffrey. Yes, sir. McConaughey. You know, the, the other thing is that I, as you're giving me down, a, a, down, down, uh, memory lane and I jarred my memory about longevity, but when you think about, you know, the, the ebbs and flows of at one time torch and Keller and, you know, Wade had a pretty big team that, that contributed. And then obviously Bob Ryder and Buck Caldwell and Mike Johnson and Dave Shear, you know, that evolution. And then, you know, there's a slew of, 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 of new journalists. I don't say new, but you know, that are maybe three, five, seven, ten 10 years in the game. But when you sort of think of that, the, the, the uh, Dave, forgive me, the old timer of the bunch, the longevity that he's created. Yeah. That does set him apart. I, I, I'm going to say in a lot of ways, okay, put him on the pedestal because Look, he may hate Southern wrestling and times he'll take jabs at that. And sometimes on the flip side of that, he'll lean more toward a, a Japanese uh, and he gets criticized for that. And and that's, you know, liking Lucha Libre and Japanese and not liking Southern or liking, you know, Europe, all that kind of stuff. That's the subject, subject, subjectivity part of it. But it's interesting to hear you lay it out that way because, man, the wrestling journalist through the years, how the evolution has taken place. It's pretty fascinating because if you really want to drill it down to it now, that's what me and you do. Oh God, please don't say that. Hey, I just thought of something I've never really thought of. (laughs) I, I can't imagine the observer not being there one day. Yeah. Like what if Dave retired? Now we know David, no, he will never retire. Well, when, when he retires to, to, to six feet under, well, and, and that, that's what I mean. When, when, when he passes away and there's wrestling without Dave Meltzer, that's going to be weird to me. It just will. Well, it, there's a, there's another human being. No matter you love him or hate him or whatever you think about it. Vince McMahon. Oh man. When, when you think of, uh, of, of, of from 22 regional territories, to, you know, the, the growth and now on Peacock and, and the evolution. And when you think about WrestleMania, oh, well, they had it at the garden on WrestleMania 10. That's what we're talking 80,000 people seen around the world and a couple of million people. And it's no longer on pay-per-view streaming just, and, and Vince is the constant. I mean, he yeah. literally is the constant that to me is fascinating. So fascinating. Well, uh, Man, we've really gone on a tangent, but, uh, next week we're going to talk about how you killed another icon, Hulk Hogan, ran him out of the business for good. Uh, of course he's eventually going to get another, uh, lease on life with uh, the WWE and then you'll bring him back for TNA and we'll talk about all that, but man, the guy who set the territory on fire, set the business on fire when he turned heel, uh, in 1996 at bash at the beach, just four short years later, you said, pack your shit, Skippy. <laughs> it's Double a great J's time. 
It really is. It, it's uh, not something that's not a red letter day for me, but uh, it's it's one of these podcasts. Um, it's uh, I, I knew going in when we when we embarked on this. It's 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 a story that's going to check all the boxes, hopefully for a good podcast because there's intrigue and look the biggest box office attraction. Uh, I put Undertaker up there, but longevity. Oh, mid till I mean Hogan has drawn money and buy rates. And uh, going back to Dave, uh, you, you talk about uh, a love-hate relationship between those two. But, uh, yeah, the Hulkster, he he is uh, – you, you cannot think wrestling without Hulk Hogan. And we're talking about him next week right here on My World. No fiction writer talk. Peace. What would your family do with an extra $108,000? That's a problem that our listener Jacob out in Colorado has. Now, thanks to SaveWithConrad.com. He recently saved money with us over at SaveWithConrad.com, gave us a five-star review, and wrote this. Our previous mortgage company made each step of the process difficult, but Jimmy took it in stride and made it happen. He was able to lock us in at 1.5% less than we were at and saved us $108,000 over the life of the loan. Guys, that's unbelievable. Jacob saved more than hundred and eight grand, but how much can you save? It's free to find out right now. You don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket. And if we can't save you money, we won't waste your time. Find out how much money you can save right now for free at SaveWithConrad.com. NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lender. And oh, by the way, did we mention no house payments for two months? And we're licensed in more than 40 states. So what are you waiting for? Start saving money today at SaveWithConrad.com. Hey, everybody, this is Dan Bespris, host of Fantasy NBA Today, a daily fantasy basketball podcast. We cover every box score from every game every day, plus bonus shows on buy low opportunities, players to stash, schedule analysis, and really anything you could need to smash your league into deliciously tiny pieces. Catch the Fantasy NBA Today podcast, part of the Believe Network on YouTube or wherever you listen.